0: Living Corporate is brought to you by The Access Point. The reality is this is the largest influx of black and brown talent corporate America has ever had. And as a result, a variety of talent entering the workforce are first generation professionals. The other reality, most of these folks aren't learning what it means to navigate a majority white workplace in their college classes. Enter The Access Point a live weekly web show within the Living Corporate Network that gives black and brown college students the real talk they need and likely haven't heard elsewhere. Every week, our hosts and special guests are dropping gems, so don't miss out. Check out The Access Point, airing every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central Standard on LivingCorporate.tv.
1: hey everybody welcome to see it to be it one of the series under the living corporate media company banner i am amy c wanninger i'm the host of see it to be it but this show if you've been listening you know this show is not about me it's all about the guests Um, what we try to do in this show is we want to highlight the career journeys of black and brown folks in the workplace and you know i started out doing this just in the u.s but lately i've been interviewing people all over the world uh, recently, I interviewed someone from Australia who works in tech. And just last week, I interviewed an accounting specialist who lives in Toronto, Canada. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing a Latin American gentleman who works as a chief medical officer in the Netherlands. And so I love that the guests have gone global um, and really you know, brought a whole different perspective to what See It To Be It is about. But the idea here is that... You know, if you are a young person, a young professional, a college student, or maybe you're mid-career and you're trying to figure out, like, what do I want to be when I grow up? Um, These stories really highlight all the different things you can be when you grow up and how people got into those roles and their advice for people who are just getting started or who maybe want to move into that space. And I'm really excited to share with you um, the interview that I have coming up with Jonathan. But first we're gonna tap in with Tristan, get some career advice, and then uh, we'll come right back to the interview.
2: What's going on Living Corporate? It's Tristan back again to bring you another career tip. Let's talk about creating content on LinkedIn. Posting on LinkedIn has two main benefits. One, it helps you to be found on the platform. And two, it helps you to establish your thought leadership and professional brand. When I tell my clients that they have to start posting, the most common response I hear is, I don't know what to post. If you feel this way, I'm here to tell you that content for you to post on LinkedIn is all around you. So I wanted to give you a few examples that can help you get started posting on the platform. When you think of posting on LinkedIn, the most obvious places to start are your successes. Things like new jobs, awards, certifications, licenses, etc. People love to see how your career is progressing and the honors that you may be receiving. Posting your successes is easy, but I'd also suggest focusing on the other end of the spectrum, your failures. Many of us have a complicated relationship with failure, and it does take quite a bit of vulnerability to share these. But we have to understand that failure is not the opposite of success, it's a defining factor in success. Each failure is designed to teach us something. Once you figure out what that something is, share it and watch the engagement flow. Oftentimes, we have to participate in training for work or even as part of organizations that we're involved in. Take the time to share what training you attended and your top two to three takeaways from it. LinkedIn loves to hear about people's learning processes. If you stay on top of industry news, share your take on it. If you're super dialed in to what your company is doing in relation to that industry news and their plans have been made public, share them as part of your post. Maybe even tag some of your leadership team to show how engaged you are with the business. Another thing LinkedIn really likes is a good story. This could be about an interview experience, an interaction you've had at work, or even things like how you and your kids are dealing with virtual learning or transitioning back to the office once COVID restrictions were loosened these stories can be powerful and provide people with an opportunity to relate to you and your experience lastly sometimes the content is already available on linkedin via other people's posts take the time to reshare the post to add your insight thoughts and opinions before i go here are some quick tips on posting start slow if you don't already post regularly start by trying to set a consistent cadence like once a week until you start to feel more comfortable don't be afraid to use hashtags but stick to no more than three to five per post also consider tagging people in your posts this can help create dialogue and boost engagement lastly and i know this sounds corny but like your own post it helps trick the algorithm and helps your post to be seen Having a great LinkedIn profile is only half of the battle. The other half is posting and engaging on the platform to make sure you are being seen by the right people. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn.
0: Living Corporate is brought to you by The Leadership Range, a podcast within the Living Corporate Network. Hosted by globally certified and Fortune 500 executive coach and leadership development expert Neil Edwards, the Leadership Range is focused on having real, raw, soulful and accountable conversations about inclusive leadership, allyship, professional development. Every week is a new episode with new learning, and new actions to take on to grow inclusively. Make sure you check out the Leadership Range everywhere you listen to podcasts.
1: Hello everyone. My guest today is Jonathan Bringas Dimitriades. Jonathan believes in the digitalization and democratization of healthcare through new modalities in diagnostics, prevention, and treatment. Jonathan has worked in the implementation of new technologies in different countries. He directly worked in the implementation of exercise physiology to cardiac magnetic resonance or CMR, across different hospitals worldwide, such as the Cleveland Clinic, the Mayo Clinic, the Hong Kong University Hospital, among other world-class hospitals. Jonathan is a certified occupational physician and is the chief medical officer of Corsano Health BV. Jonathan holds a medical doctorate from the Latin American Medical University. Jonathan, thank you so much for being on the show. You are my very first chief medical officer.
3: Oh, thank you for having me. Oh, how exciting. (laughs)
1: I'm so excited to have you here. So let's start there because that's a title that a lot of people won't be familiar with. Can you tell us what does a chief medical officer do?
3: Well, a chief medical officer has a range of different responsibilities according to the organization. Um, From a regulatory perspective, it can ensure that uh, medical devices or or pharma uh, compounds can be accepted or registered at different national systems. Um, from America medical affairs part, it actually conducts uh, clinical trials and, um, and the medical, uh, the chief medical officer also uh, keeps con- constant communication with different societies of uh, specialties uh, for the implementation or, or to inspire the, the, the changes in different protocols or guidelines uh, across the globe.
1: And so is your We've heard a lot about clinical trials in the news yet lately, right? Because yes. of COVID vaccines and that sort of thing. Is yes. your work related to, com- to clinical trials, is that more yes. in the devices space or in the, in the uh, pharmaceutical space?
3: Uh, we, have a, we are working in the device space. However, we cross uh, responsibilities a lot with pharma companies, uh, especially where we are at right now. We work in wearable uh, devices. Uh, so they allow uh, patients to be monitored at distance and uh, due to the covid-19 uh, pandemic we see that more and more pharma companies are starting to need uh, of these remote monitoring uh, of patients at their own homes because sites are just full of patients with covid-19 or they just don't have the capacity uh, or also because of just regulations of the country
1: so that's fascinating so there's a, there's a disruption in the pharmaceutical industry right now that's definitely moving them more and more toward wearables and IOT, that's amazing.
3: Yes, yes, all these different new technologies and modalities are really being uh, impacting the world of of developing uh, not only vaccines, but also just pharmaceutical compounds in general.
1: Okay, excellent. And so I see in your bio that you're also an occupational physician Yes. So, are you a practicing physician in addition to being chief medical officer, or is chief medical officer your full-time responsibility?
3: Yes, there's no, there's no more time for that. <laughs> I, I only do. Uh, I am the chief medical officer. Uh, I also have other personal, um, more social ventures. So, uh, with a group of Latin Americans in the Netherlands, we have founded an NGO that actually promotes the development of professional of the professional career of other Latin American professionals that migrate to Europe Uh, as as a social responsibility. That's also something where I implement my time, my personal time. Um, So that's pretty much it. That and having a family.
1: Yeah, that sounds like plenty. And So (laughs) so how did you, let's start with the the transition from physician to chief medical officer. What does that career path look like? And then I want to go back even further into how'd you get into medicine in the first place. But let's start with, uh, you know, physician to chief medical officer, because I'm guessing that's not a single step.
3: There were many steps. And um, they were some of them were very coincidental steps, uh, or casual steps. And then some other ones were very deliberately made. Um, I think in, it started from the moment that I moved to the Netherlands. Uh, I was an occupational physician in Peru for a long time and uh, I was working uh, at different companies and, and also at a clinical service in Peru. And um, the moment that I moved to the Netherlands, I had to register my medical diploma. So the entire registration procedure really stopped me from being able to continue my practice. Um, and then I had to look for different ways to sort out that uh, gap of like work, for instance, uh, so I, uh, I decided to just not stay uh, sitting on the couch and like actually go and look for jobs. And that brought me to the medical industry in, in the way of medical technology. So I started from the very bottom uh, as a sales uh, representative for a medical device company. Uh, and then I started to grow up uh, looking for new opportunities. I, I met some recruiters. Um, so they asked me if I wanted to become a business developer. I'd never heard of that before, so I said, why not? Let's do it. And then I went to business development. Uh, From that path, I met more people. One of my clients actually asked me, do you want to cross to like genetical uh, development of agricultural vegetable varieties and I was like well that sounds like something that I have no idea of so I would love to <laughs> and then this actually took me uh, to the world of business development and actually international business so I was uh, certified and I received education on international business marketing uh, strategy financials and that all, all these inf- uh, new abilities plus my experience and my medical knowledge eventually took me back to the medical devices industry where I was an international sales manager and medical affairs director for for Lodi, which is where we implemented the Cleveland Clinic and the Mayo Clinic in cardiac magnetic resonance. And then lately, uh, my last new step was becoming the chief medical officer of Corsano with all this package of um, knowledge that I've been acquiring during the years.
1: That is a fascinating journey. You know, just starting with, you know, I didn't want to sit on my couch looking for a job as a physician. I've never, it's never occurred to me that a physician would ever have to look for a job. And the whole, um, you know, need to be able to cross national boundaries with your credentials is one I never would have thought of, um, not having been in that space, of course. But it sounds like you just made a whole lot of seemingly random lily pad hops and picked up enough along the way that you've kind of brought this all full circle now.
3: Yes. And uh, although it sounds like it was very random, actually, they all converge at the point where I am.
1: Yeah. It's funny how, when we look back in hindsight, we can connect all the dots, but looking forward, you don't always know how the dots will connect.
3: You have no idea. I remember that when I arrived to the Netherlands and then I said, okay, well, I'm gonna start uh, working for a medical company in sales. Uh, my mother in Peru was completely scandalized. She's like, you're a doctor, what are you doing? And, um, and then my mother-in-law, which is Dutch as well, she was like, what exactly, where is it going? And I just was waiting for a registration and uh, that registration takes time. And in the meantime, you know, as a physician, you just sit down and wait. Uh, But I just didn't want to do that. So uh, eventually they all understood that everything, every different step that I took, took me somewhere. And, um, and this is where I am now.
1: I think this is such an important lesson for people who are early in their careers or just starting out in their careers, or even anticipating what their careers might be, because it is, it is so easy to look at where someone sits and say, well, of course that's where they ended up right? But, you know, when somebody says to you, hey, do you want to come do this thing you've never done before in words that you don't understand? The easy thing is to say, no, that's not in my path, right? That's not what I signed up for. Um, the smart thing is to say, what could I learn? <laughs> and <laughs> what kind of opportunity is this? And then, you know, see where the where the path leads. And so I- exactly. Yeah. So where do you think the confidence to do that came from for you? Because it takes a remarkable amount of confidence to say, I'm just going to step out on faith and assume that the ground will be there where my foot lands.
3: Um, I think when I was a kid and, and until now, I've been uh, always uh, making little steps uh, towards things that were unknown. Um, sometimes because of peer pressure, And sometimes because I just wanted to do them and I didn't really think about um, my limitations more than how can I achieve it. Um, I remember like trying to play the guitar only because the majority of my friends uh, knew how to play the guitar. And then I just wanted to be belong to that circle. So I just went and, and, and started to play the guitar. Eventually I became kind of okay Uh, playing the guitar and um, and the same way happened when I decided to um, move across uh, uh, the continent uh, to study my medical career I went away from Peru uh, and um, and then I went also away from my house when I went to study my my uh, former uh, education further education Um, then later on I moved to the Netherlands so it's even a bigger step always trying to do something that I'm just not comfortable with. I think the moment that you found, find comfort, maybe that's the moment where you no longer are growing. So this is why I always enjoyed being uncomfortable, always enjoyed being insecure. And um, I, I, I am not ashamed of saying that I don't know something. Actually, that gives me the opportunity to learn it.
1: What amazing advice, especially for young people. Can you tell me a little bit about what drew you into medicine in the first place?
3: Um, yes. I, well, I always wanted to be a doctor. Uh, when I was a kid, I would play uh, with my brother, and my sister, with little tree branches, and I would act as if they were a stethoscope. Um, <laughs> and, um, and later on in life, uh, I had the chance to go to the U.S., uh, participate at the Intel ISEF, which is the International Science and Engineering Fair uh, organized by Intel one of the biggest, um, uh, let's say, ch- children scientist conferences in the world, and um, one of the uh, of the people that were judges in that conference was a Nobel Prize laureated in medicine, uh, Richard Roberts from the New England Biolabs. And I met him, and I got inspired by him, and uh, I was a kid, and it was really cool because I would send him emails and he would actually respond. And um, for a Peruvian kid that is 14, 15 years old uh, that a Nobel Prize laureated, that is the director of such a huge bio lab would respond to your emails. That was such, a, such inspiration. So I asked him if he could, uh, by, because he knew me already for some time, he could write me a little reference letter. So then I decided to just apply and I, and I entered medical school.
1: That is fascinating. So having somebody that, uh, a chance meeting, that invested their interest in you, led you to this path? I was so
3: flabbergasted. I never expected a person so big in the medical industry uh, with a Nobel Prize to take his time, even five minutes of his day, to just reply to the letter of a Peruvian little kid.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a great lesson for people who are established in their careers, um, who are listening, right? Invest in young people, invest your time, um, invest your attention because you never know Where that might lead them. And you, you know, you never know, you may be the first person who's ever done so, but hopefully you won't be the last. Now, you know, as you think about, (laughs) you know, you've been a lot of places, right? So you've been, um, you've lived in Peru, you've lived in the U.S., um, now you live in the Netherlands. Um, And I would imagine that, you know, even within the medical community in the U.S., um, there's probably not a huge um, percentage of doctors um, who are Latin American. Is that correct? That is correct. And then I would imagine once you get to the Netherlands, the number is even smaller.
3: <laughs> Oof. I think I can count them with my hands.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, and I know that you have you've done some work, um, you know, building an, an NGO or a non governmental organization. Um, in the U.S., we call those nonprofits. But can you tell me a little bit about what it's like to build that community from where you are?
3: Well, its I have to say it's amazing. Um, I started in 2019. Um, basically, it was just a Facebook group. We said, um, we, I would like to reach a lot of Latin Americans that are probably in my same position. When I arrived to the Netherlands, I didn't know how the system works. Everything was in Dutch. And if it's not in Dutch, it's in English. There's nothing in Spanish. I was lucky that I, that I speak English, but many others don't speak English. Um, and, uh, and the process, the path was just very complicated. You have to send a lot of documents. You have to go there. You have to go to, uh, to another uh, office, make so many exams. Um, there, there's a, there are two or three organizations for registration of diplomas. None of them tell you which one is for doctors and which one it isn't. Uh, at the end of the day, you can find so many doctors, uh, Latin American doctors that are just working as receptionists uh, uh, at hotels or uh, at, in restaurants while they studied a, a profession and they had uh, the chance to become a physician. So uh, I was speaking with diplomats uh, in the Netherlands and, and hearing this problematic, I really got very uh, aware of my uh, goal in the society I uh value the chances that the Netherlands gave me to grow um and I also wanted to give back to the community uh, where I belong. So I started this Facebook group and uh, it started to launch. I met uh, really good people to support me um along the way where four Peruvians um live all of us residents in the Netherlands and then little by little we started to grow a community that, that is right now above the 1600 professionals and um uh, we are already expanding to the Benelux, so to Belgium, Netherlands and Luxembourg. Um, and uh, we decided to open this uh, new nonprofit. So we created a website. We started to make webinars. Uh, we put them online. Uh, we even have our phone numbers on LinkedIn. Uh, if you wanna contact us, you can contact us. We are, we are there. If I don't respond to you today, I'll respond to you tomorrow, but I really want to uh, just be part of that change.
1: That's such a fascinating thing, a problem to solve for and community to build. And I think it's so, um, it, it's so inspiring to me when people say, you know, I feel alone. I'm just going to go find people uh, who are going through what I'm going through. And then to say, and let's just fix this for everybody while we're at it, uh, <laughs> you know, through outreach and engagement and lobbying. And, you know, I, I, th- I just think it takes such a special person to to do that work, um, not just to figure it out for themselves, but to help other people figure it out. And so let me ask you this. Um, well, actually, before I even get there, I just want to give a nod to the doctors who are working in the hotel lobbies or <laughs> as custodians or you know whatever they're doing, how frustrating it must be to have this incredibly valuable, incredibly needed skill set um, and not be able to put it in to practice right away—that must be so frustrating.
3: Yes, uh, I lived it for a little while, and um, I—I've met people that are still living it. It's—it's um, uh, it's a very complicated situation. Um, as the time passes, you start losing your hope, mm-hmm. um, and um, I, this is—it's—it's it's something that you you constantly ask yourself if I'm if you made the right decision to come over here. Uh, some people don't have the chance to actually uh, ask themselves that question. You know, we have a lot of Venezuelan refugees, or uh, uh, there there are a lot of uh, Syrian refugees here. Um, so in in their cases, they didn't have any other chance or any other choice. Uh, it was either migrating or or or, or uh, you know staying in the country and then suffering the consequences. So when the, the moment that they arrive here and they just see that everything they had, including their career, just can't continue, Um, then there's a big frustration. um, And I think we are there for them uh, to at least inform them correctly, uh, to at least guide them through the process. Of course, there's a lot of uh, effort that has to be placed in there by their side, something that we cannot do for them, Um, but we wanna be there at least to to, to tell them how it works and that there is a chance I, I always ask Latin American doctors to come over to my webinars and tell them I did it. So if I did it, you can do it. And, and I think that's a very powerful message.
1: Absolutely. Do you find that the, um, that the government and the culture of the Netherlands is as welcoming as it needs to be, or is there work to do there? Uh,
3: There's a lot of work to do um i i've been asked many times (laughs) i think um my wife is dutch so uh, she always tells me every time there's a there's an incident and i tell you like this was a little racist um she says well you know i grew up in a community where everyone is is uh, dutch and i went to school and everyone is dutch and i was always told that there's those things don't happen in this country and i uh because i'm not on your uh, in your shoes i could never see it and it wasn't until i Got uh, with you and I and we got married and you came to the Netherlands. That I see what you mean, uh, and I think there's a lot of awareness that has to happen still in this country, uh, the same way as it has to happen in the in the professional world. Um, just the the there's a lot of uh, less I would say there there are less opportunities for people that belong to minorities. Um, I know that the government is working a lot into that, and I really appreciate it from the side of this country. I think this country is always innovative in that, uh, but there's still a lot more work to do, and um, even if we can do just a little bit to help out, then um, it's it's always great to do it.
1: Yeah, and I think that there's sort of a double indignity there, right? When someone is, you know, you think about, at least, you know, in my growing up, you know, in the U.S., there's this reverence that people have for doctors right there's this this stature and this um respect that people have um mm-hmm. for doctors and there's not that that ever tr- not that that ever tramps out the racism right like i realize like you can be a doctor and still be a victim of racism but there is like that one that one place right and then it seems like when when people then immigrate, or or they have refugee status somewhere, not only does the indignity of of being the victim of racism come with that, but also that indignity of being stripped of the respect of their profession.
3: Yes, their the, the respect of the profession, their their place in society and the community. Yes,
1: yeah, and it's it's heartbreaking, and you know to think about. Um, you know, I've, I've worked those jobs, right. Those frontline jobs um, in customer service and hospitality. And, you know, I know uh, not that anyone deserves to be mistreated right in their work, but to have worked as hard as doctors have to work to get those credentials and to be, you know, to be among those, you know, those elite um, professionals to then have to, you know, to have to be treated <laughs> without the respect of the credential, right? And without the respect of of the, being in the majority on top of that, I think it would just be very difficult. Um, for someone who is young, who is listening to this right now, who, you know, when they were a kid, they used found objects as stethoscopes, and maybe they are not going to um, attend an international <laughs> science competition or science conference, what advice do you have for them on how to get started? How to, how to forge a path into medicine or how to find those mentors that can help them?
3: Um, I think one thing that I would say is to, uh, to, to just try and not give up. Um, just when I applied for medical school, um, before I was accepted, I was I was rejected three times. And um, and I think um, that's something that that people has to know that rejection uh, and uh, failure uh, that cannot stop you. Um, so just because things don't work doesn't mean that you actually have to give up. They don't if they don't work at first, that's okay. There's always tomorrow to try again. Um, so I think it's like a very cheesy phrase, uh, to say like, oh, you know, if I tomorrow, there's always tomorrow. Uh, but actually I think it's, it's a very fundamental true in, in, um, career development and in business. Uh, if you ask any person that sales, any person that, that, that knows about business development, they always will tell you that majority of doors close, but the biggest opportunities comes from the doors that open. Uh, and you have to be patient for them to open. So I think uh, for those uh, young people out there that are actually thinking about uh, studying medicine, uh, that, are, that don't know if they are cut for it uh, or if they are uh, good enough, smart enough, et cetera, uh, if you have the will, if you have the perseverance, if you really want to, then you are cut for it.
1: I'm going to just end right there. I think that's the best advice you could ever give um young people is you know if you want it, go for it and and it will be there if you just keep at it. So Jonathan, thank you so much. I'm sorry, I should call you Dr. Puttingus (laughs) Dimitri. No, 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 It's definitely not. (laughs) It's tough in social media, you get first name basis real quick and and I should be careful about that. But thank you so much for sharing your journey with us, for sharing your stories of of failure and triumph and and um of just kind of feeling your way through the world to get where you are i think that your story is one that is um is absolutely full of lessons for um for all of us and for young people in particular thank you so much
3: and thank you amy for having me
0: living corporate is brought to you by the break room have you ever felt burnt out depressed or otherwise exhausted by being one of the onlys at work? You know what I'm talking about. Hosted by black psychologists, psychiatrists and PhDs, The Break Room is a live weekly web show in the Living Corporate Network that discusses mental health, wellness and healing for black folks at work. Name another weekly show explicitly focused on mental health, wellness and healing for black folks at work. I'll wait. This is why you got to check out The Break Room airing every Thursday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on livingcorporate.tv.
1: So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jonathan. I can tell you, I learned so much. Um, I didn't know what a chief medical officer was, first of all. Um, So it was interesting to get that perspective. Just, but also to hear about, you know, that he was not on a linear path when he started. He was kind of, you know, jumping around to try to figure out, you know, what was he going to do next? And all of those different next steps culminated in something that was incredibly meaningful um, and uniquely appropriate for him. And so with that, I just want to say, you know, whatever journey you're on, just know that the next step is not going to be the last step. And, um, you know, anything you can learn along the way that will get you where you want to go, I think is a valuable next step. Now, if you enjoyed this interview, I would love it, love it, love it, love it. And I know Zach would love it too. If you would go out to wherever you find podcasts and, you know, give us a rating five stars is preferred. Uh, six stars is even better. Um, And you might be thinking, well, there isn't. An opportunity for six stars oh but there is uh, that sixth star comes in the form of a written review where you can tell us you know what you enjoyed about the episode or what you enjoy about the series we would love to hear from you Uh, we would also love it if you would share living corporate not just my series not just see it to be it uh, but the whole living corporate brand with your friends your colleagues your families uh, your acquaintances random people that you talk to on the street from a safe social distance Everybody needs to hear about this platform uh, because we are really, you know, collecting the stories and experiences and perspectives of people whose voices have been ignored for far too long. And um, you can be an agent of change by helping highlight some of these stories. I look forward to seeing you next week. Who knows who my next guest is going to be? Maybe it will be a Russian cosmonaut or maybe it will be, um, you know, a hotelier in, I'm probably saying that wrong. Hotelier, hotelier, hotel manager, uh, <laughs> whatever the right word is. You can tell them from Southern Indiana. As soon as I start to use big words, you know, maybe it'll be, you know, who knows, who knows what we've got next. You just got to tune in and find out. Uh, and with that, I will see you next week.